that's okay. Jerry Lawler. One. Okay. All right. I was going to start. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the greatest movie never made podcast. It's a the good, the bad, and the nerdy movie podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me today, I got a special guest. Uh, you you know him from our main podcast. It's Bruce Hunter. What sorcery is this? You're talking about movies that never happened but might? Uh, yes and no. Sometimes they do happen. Sometimes they eventually could happen. Now, this is an interesting one we're talking about today. So, recently, Bruce and I did a podcast on Pulp Fiction, which we were talking about great movies of 1994. Well, today we're talking about an interesting prequel that may have that's been discussed for almost 25 years we're talking about the what the, it's been the title's been all over the place but it's basically called the current title confirmed is double v vega which is or aka the vega brothers it's from quentin tarantino and it would have been a prequel to both pulp fiction and reservoir dogs excellent i suppose it would have had a lot of amsterdam cops not being able to search vince well, okay, so glad you brought this up. So, okay, so we'll talk a little about the origin of this film. Okay, so uh, in 1992, Reservoir Dogs released, and the, one of the main characters, played by Michael Madsen, is Vic Vega. He is a pretty sadistic, psycho uh, criminal. Two years later, when Pulp Fiction comes out, John Travolta plays Vincent Vega, a uh, crazy, a very, you know, drug out hitman. Now, uh, both films have an interesting, you know, subtle plot about the characters. Vic points out he just got out of prison about for three years and vincent just said he got back after three years in amsterdam so quite a few people speculated they were definitely the, the uh, brothers and eventually tarantino basically confirmed yes they're brothers and this is where it gets interesting so eventually around 98 99 this this rumor pops up that eventually he confirmed so after he releases jackie brown he begins to work on quite a few projects now most people don't realize or if you look closely, you'll realize that there was almost a five-and-a-half-year gap between Tarantino projects because he spent a long time working on several scripts for movies that never got made. We're going to focus on this one today, but there's a lot. First of all, uh, you know, and Bruce, let me ask you this. What would you think would be the idea for a uh, film uh, based on this, these two guys? So this is a hard prequel to run because they both kind of reach their – uh, their climax of character in other films. And I don't know, I mean, like an origin story seems a little much for these characters. I mean, while they're both well written and acted, they're both relatively thin characters. So, I mean, a caper seems like the natural thing, but they're, you're, you're cutting all your tension. I always have this trouble with prequels, though. I never know exactly what you're going to do with a prequel when everyone knows the starting position of the other film is where you end up. Yeah, see, that, that's uh, that's the interesting thing is that like, he wrote basically, uh, you know, we know what's going to happen to both these guys. So we know what our plot line happened. They're going to survive. But, um, you know, so the so around this time, he, he spent like multiple years trying to write the script for Inglorious Bastard. Like that's something I may cover eventually is like what the original plan was. Like he, you know, if you think Inglorious Bastards was a long, complicated movie that got made you should have seen the stories of what it originally was was even more insane so uh he actually went to amsterdam to work on that script and around this period of time he kind of got sidetracked and started working on this script and he also then put that away and wrote kill bill so uh this is an interesting period when he was trying to 
figure out one script, kind of like the Coen brothers were with um, Miller's Crossing. They want, he just winds up writing other scripts because he can't get his head on one script. <laughs> but so uh, the first stories that came out around uh, 98, 99 was that he was, it was going to be set in the mid 80s and it was going to involve both brothers running a strip club in, in L.A. You know, in the mid 80s. So all sorts of th- sort theories started coming out like, was this going to tie into like the big 80s you know, hair metal rock scene? Or was this going to be like all like the um, rise of like hip hop? Because one story was it was going to be a strip club. The other was going to be a nightclub. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people were speculating. And then would this t- would some characters you know, pop up that were already in, like for instance, would Jules be a, uh, make an appearance in this movie? Would maybe uh, you know nice guy Eddie make an appearance in this movie? And then then there were all sorts of theories like. Would there be if it was a rock club, like which is one theory was? Would you'd have bands like, Al, you would have Motley Crue or, say, you know, metal band. You know, the point was this was that period of you know metal period of the, the glam rock. So he's just using the characters as a way to trick us to watch his L.A. metal story. So okay, possibly. Now it gets interesting. So a few years later, it comes out the plan is it's going to be set in in Amsterdam. So the plot line then becomes. Vic Vega comes to Amsterdam to visit his brother Vincent, who's working a club for Marcellus. So that's the that's the main crux of the plot line. It's supposed to only be like a weekend trip too. Mm. Okay, that's interesting too. I, and again, I don't, I don't know what you do with the story in either of those. But then again, it's not like Pulp Fiction is a story that has a lot of like the point of Pulp Fiction is just to be entertaining. It's not like you're really really working with any of the characters. Yeah, so uh, that's sort of my take. Now, what I've suspected all along was, you know, this is going to tie in possibly even the true romance. So there's been theories that true romance was, you know, it, you must be believed that Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, and um, Pulp Fiction are all the same universe. Yeah, that's uh, the, Q, the QTU. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the QTU and Natural Born Kills was supposed to be, but because all of some kept making so many changes that that just got thrown out. Same thing with From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn is definitely in the same universe because uh, yeah, Earl McGraw is in that in, in Kill Bill and you know, and in Death Proof. So Earl McGraw is like one of the tie-ins to everything. So, uh, and there was a rumor he might appear in this also. So, in uh, the question, if that had the case, you'd you know, you'd start getting some of the From Dust Till Dawn characters, possibly even maybe the Gecko Brothers. So that would be Tarantino and George Clooney. So, uh, but when it was revealed it was going to be in Amsterdam, that kind of threw a lot of those ideas out. So the question then would be like, would he be using European actors like he did for, um, like he did for Inglorious Bastards? So, you know, if we're talking like early 2000, you know, 90s, like who, who all would he kind of cast? And that gets more interesting because would he do like some British actors? Would he try to cast some Danish or, you know, um, you know Nordic actors? So uh, I've had some theories that believe it or not, some of the people who wound up on Game of Thrones would be in this film. Specifically Nicole Costa-Waller because he, you know, Jamie Lannister, dick, but when you hear him actually talk with his normal accent, it's very, very, it would be very appropriate for him to be some kind of leech in hanging around the Euro scene. There's so, not... Yeah. Tarantino's Euro trash girls. I got yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I suspect. Now, of course, the fact that he said it, Tarantino they said it was supposed to be like a three day trip for Vic. So Vic comes to visit Vince and possibly on the run for whatever crime he gets busted for later. 
And the idea is they have like one big, you know, weekend party. So the uh, nightclub thing doesn't even matter. That's just where Vince is at. So then it becomes like, is this like a lost weekend kind of scenario? They're just on this massive party bench. Or is this like a crime wave that uh, Vic gets into because Vic's psychotic and Vincent just whatever. So, so then there's a question, would this be like some big, crazy, like um, natural born killer, like crime wave? It's hard to justify that in in a den, you know, in in an Amsterdam scenario, because it's just not a place that that gets to happen. You know, they have, you know, capable uh, and competent and orderly society. Yeah, and the thing about it is, like, you know, most crimes are bleak. I mean, it's like, you know, the prostitution's, you know, under you know licensing. You know, you have the red light district and all this stuff. It wouldn't seem like it would be a place where and it is you know like Vincent points it's really it's illegal for them to search you kind of you know they have very very good you know freedoms in uh Amsterdam so the question then would be like what exactly is this film going to be and eventually Tarantino kept saying he himself was scratching his head how he'd make the, you know what the plot would be other than Vic and Vincent hanging out in in um Amsterdam for three days so eventually he kind of tabled the uh, idea so he can start working on a kill bill. And eventually he says he had to kind of bury the project because it had been too long. And it's like John Travolta and Michael Madison just physically looked a lot older after a certain point. You know, right. none of those guys are people who could, you know. So at this point, about... you'd, have to, you'd have to roll it back to a 10-year prior prequel and cast some some likely actors in their 20s. I did not do that today. I am so sorry. No problem. I just, you know, uh, I'm sure you heard my daughter in the background a minute ago. There. But no, um, so, you know, when we deal with that, it's like, if, you know, is it too old to, you know, run? Now, here's the funny thing. Apparently, Tarantino and Madsen actually joked about this idea and they considered it as a kind of a, a funnier twist, which is that Vincent and uh, Vic are actually have their own identical twins. So the idea is they had long lost twin brothers. They're identical, also named Vic and Vincent. So the idea is like when uh, at the funerals, both of them show up or maybe they do like a 23 mean find out they have twin brothers. So and they backed by luck meet. So then it would turn into like a uh, that would be the joke to get around how old they've gotten. <laughs> no, that just becomes well, I mean, you know, again, the existence of inglorious bastards proves there's nothing too convoluted. When yes. Yes. And the thing with Tarantino is, like, you, if you're going to do something that silly, you might as well do it. But uh, right. at this point, I, he said he's kind of abandoned this project because many times he said it's just he couldn't figure out how to make it work the way he wanted it. Originally, he envisioned his head. I've said before, if he went instead of doing Amsterdam, if he just stuck to like the 80s, you know, uh, keep it like a club in the 80s, and maybe the plot, the big twist at the end is Vince runs, uh, Vince escapes to like whatever crime they get caught in. Vince goes to Amsterdam to avoid, you know, being busted, and Vic has to go to jail. So this could be like that reason. Like, why did Vincent go spend three years in Amsterdam? Why did Vic spend three years in prison? You know, what was, you know, were they involved in some crime at the same time? So, uh, and I, you know, if they did do it now, I would, I, I agree with you. They should recast. He, you know, Tarantino said he would never do like the motion capture de aging thing. He just thinks that's something he doesn't want to put extra budget into his films. And I agree. It's like. He, you know, he apparently his budgets for some of his films have gotten pretty high because of the uh, settings. So he doesn't want to. And that's best for short pieces, not the whole pieces. Like, like uh, at the end of the day, Luke Skywalker and the Mandalorian spoilers uh, was good. But I don't 
have a lot of faith in like a long form Luke doing a lot of talking and more, you know, more subtle things than lightsabering up a bunch of things. You know, uh, I think that's destined to Uncanny Valley pretty hard. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people joked about how like odd, you know, young Luke looked, but the, the idea is just him without, if he hadn't lifted the hood, that would have, everyone would have believed it was Luke Skywalker because it was, it was clearly Luke Skywalker. They could have just like, he didn't have to lift the hood up. That's mm-hmm. the thing about that. Everyone knew what was going on. So, you know, he, but he said before, it's like, it's just not the technology he wants to explore. So if you did it now, he'd probably recast. But the question is, who, how do you find people to kind of... What kind of film, though? Role? Like, so the thing about Tarantino is that uh, every film is an homage to another set of films. And, like, what's he going to look at for this? Um, is he looking for, like, uh, apparels of alcohol kind of 50s thing uh to make fun of what what's the what's the target and that's the part that i am not hearing about i did i did google this because i sort of didn't believe you at first and there's a lot of speculation around yeah uh i mean people have you know spoiler alert people have too much time on the internet but um what no (laughs) i found very little of like what would the like there it all focuses on the fact that these would be the characters but these characters are as i said very thin like you know psychopath and incompetent drug addict actually charismatic but incompetent hitman you know like he is totally charismatic everyone wants to like vincent well presumably except for shooting him you know uh but you you know the general theory is he he's and he, he he can't be that incompetent, but he's pretty incompetent. Like yeah, he, he makes a lot of dumb. I mean, the smartest thing he does in Pulp Fiction is take her to. Well, one is to take her to um, you know, get the shot. That's the, <laughs> the only yeah. smart thing he does. Uh, you know, uh, maybe taking her out to eat was not a bad decision, but from that point on, he makes every bad decision possible. <laughs> Right. And, and it should be pointed out, you know, Vincent clearly has, you know, anger issues. They you know, point that out several times. So it's clear him and Vic both have like rage problems. Vic's far worse than he is. He, it's probably because his heroin is keeping most of his anger at bay. Yeah, I mean, that is self-medicating. I mean, I, I yeah. can see that. I just, I, I, I just don't know what you do with it. Of course, I'm not a filmmaker. Uh, yeah, so, so you me, know, if, that. If I was doing, I look at like a movie like Less Than Zero, you know, look at the 80s kind of like, you know, you know, self-destruction period. So, you know, Lesson Zero is a notoriously bad adaptation of the book. And he's a big fan of those novels. So I can see him using that as like a template of like, you know, a uh, weekend of hell, you know, from a, you know, a, you know, on a drug binge kind of deal. So I could see the two of them maybe, you know. What was that John Cusack uh, high school reunion assassin shtick thing? Oh, uh, Gross Point Blank. Yeah, that one. I, I remember liking that a lot of the time, but I have no interest in revisiting it. Oh, see, I, I, that's one I really enjoy. You know, I got this. That's another great soundtrack in the movie. Uh, you know, that's that's a, that's a nice kind of parody of his own career doing like eighties, you know, eighties uh, comedy. So, you know, that's an- he's just an actor I've lost a taste for. Maybe an overdosed. Like literally, he just maybe overplayed in the little uh, jukebox of my mind. But I just I've lost taste for, a taste for his work. Well, I, you know, uh, we're going off a slight tangent, but you know, Cusack's one of the people who's like constantly saying, you know, we need to. You know, we need more and more like small budget, you know, you know, dramas and comedies anymore. He's a he's a big proponent of that. Now, I will say this: you won't watch something. We'll eventually cover the Raven on the other podcast, which is one of the weirdest movies ever made. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm about sound effects today. You didn't know I was bringing the sound effects budget. 
Oh yeah, I heard. <laughs> but no, but, um, uh, I, I, think... I guess that's my question is, and and this is you know as my introduction to this whole uh, element for us, like where I'm going to maybe do more of these with you in the future, like. I, I get that the directors themselves generally open the door to this speculation. They'll have a project on a list of scripts they're shopping around. Uh, but there's always also an element of what I'll call like viral marketing to it, where they're usually quite coy, um, unless they're, you know, tilting at windmills, literally. See what I did there? Haha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, trust me, I've not covered the man who uh, killed uh, Don Quixote for reasons. There's so much more coverage than that one. But, but I am curious as to. Uh, what do you? What are what are the people who are the fans like? Again, I was astonished at how much internet content there is on this. Uh, l- listeners, if you are interested in following up on this and just reading everybody and their dogs' speculation on this film, uh, a three-second Google inquiry will bring you to the door. Uh, but I'm just like, what is the um, what is what what is the 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 drive of these examinations when they're so thin as this one? I mean, again, like the the reason I write brought up Don Quixote's there were like seven scripts you can go get for that one and then there was shooting that occurred and things like that so that one got a lot further downfield as yeah, I understand it, it. I mean, it finally got finished but as a whole different project completely right. so but in this particular case that goes back to the idea of like what's in the briefcase you know you know did, <laughs> oh the, if he gave he, away what was in the briefcase I'd go I, I'd drive out there to LA and slap him myself well I know but see that's just it. the beauty about his fandom you know fandom is like what's in the briefcase did Mr. Pink get away with the diamonds uh, things like that you know those uh, he likes to leave those all you know open-ended questions like right, what? No, that's good film uh, I, I think that's that's a hallmark of where his strengths are his strengths in my view um, and again I am by no means anywhere near as expert as you are uh, but my, my, like, what is Quentin Tarantino good for? One, he's excellent at casting and dialogue. He knows how to do sound. He knows how to shoot. You know, the cinematography is splendid. The sets are splendid. Everything looks good and, and yet distinct. Like, you don't confuse a still from Pulp Fiction with a still from Kill Bill. Uh, they, they're both very distinct looking and have some, you know, the, the, the red apples and stuff. They have some Yeah, the square. A tendency to like have characters pose, you know, when they're shooting. You know, there's a lot of framed uh, portraiture in his work, little, little pieces that beg for the uh, poster treatment. But by and large, he's got all that skill, and he, he he loves movies more than I think it's physically possible for anyone to love movies. There might be like an implant going on or some kind of chip to make yeah. him love them just a little bit more than is natural. Um, and he has an exhaustive library of films in his head with which to comment and riff and, and reference. Um, well, so that's what he's great at. But like writing plots, he's not. His plots are well, not particularly it's also, it's also, I think good. we got to factor the fan theory. So have you heard the Kill Bill theory? No, what's that? Okay, so one, you know, I think somebody wrote it, read it a long time, which is usually how these things get going, but that Kill Bill is entirely Mia's fantasy as she's in during the heroin overdose. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, while in the, you know, in the short time that she's, you know, overdosed into the, you know, her movie, you know, her TV show is, be, you know, this is her mind, you know, this, which, of course, the idea was they took that, that gimmick and ran with it, made a movie out of it. But the idea is like, this is entirely all in her head as she's overdosing. So, uh, you know, the movie, it, the, it ends because, you know, Vincent, you know, gives it the shot. But, uh, that, you know, that's one of those, you know, crazy fan theories about, you know, that you know, could actually work if you wanted to make it work. So I think, like I said, with this film, 
it probably if he'd really committed to it, I think, you know, like I said, he could either gone with the Amsterdam scenario or he'd gone with the um, or I say keep it in L.A. and make it like a playoff of like those 80s, you know, self-destruction things like Bright Lights, Big City, um, you know, less than zero, stuff like that. You know what, though? Those are not big enough targets. I mean, at the end of the day, it'd be fun. It'd be interesting to see what he would do with it. But like, I get why he goes for Westerns and why he goes for war movies. And why he goes for, you know, cr- over-the-top crime heist dramas. They're just bigger genres, you know? There's Yeah, there's more room to play off. You know, and I think What's Upon in Hollywood was basically his last kind of play with the L.A. I think he, he still won't say what his final film is going to be, but I definitely don't think it'll be yeah, related to the movie industry. So I I think we can all agree that, you know, this film's you know definitely not going to happen. You know, even if that gag of them saying they're identical twins, you know. That's not going to happen. But I think the fact that there was such a discussion about it kind of shows why this would be a cool idea. But I think we've talked enough about this film. Uh, Bruce, thanks for coming on. Hey, this is like, a lot of fun. No, sorry. Yeah, if, if you uh, enjoy this podcast, make sure to tell other people about this. And make sure to hit us up on our, our Facebook group, Fans of Good, Bad, Nerdy Movie Podcast. We get, we'll have a discussion about these podcasts, too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Wait, wait. A Muppet sequence. They both get high. And they become Muppets. Ooh. Or better yet, instead of Travolta and Madsen, we use Waldorf and Statler. Ah. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Good ending, man. That was a great way to finish it. <laughs> la, 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 la